All right. Sorry. I'm laughing because we were talking about cookies. And um, it messed me up. Microphone wasn't on. Pat was eating the cookies in the back. So... <laughs> it is great to see you here tonight. Isn't it wonderful to sit down and, you know, break forth the bread of life, discuss God's bread, cook, no, no, no more cookies, <laughs> the bread of life and talk about God's word. God is, is wonderful. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer, please. Our great Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for blessing us and for your compassion, for your mercy, for Jesus who lived and died and set an example for us, reminding us that this world is not our home, that we're just passing through. And as we study your word, we ask that you will open our hearts to understand and to grow and to put our full trust and faith in Jesus, who not only knows us, but knows why he came and knows the Father and presented to us an example of how to live our lives in this current uh, evil world that we live in. We do praise your holy and divine name and thank you and ask that you will help us with uh, to have clear minds as we study. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee. Be thy will. Amen. John chapter 4. Jesus. Jesus was just like us in the sense that he was a human, right? I mean, he had, when you think about falling in love with Jesus, he, it's easy to fall in love with Jesus when you see Jesus for who he is. Well, you can see the divine part, and you go, okay, there's the divine. But Jesus was not only the Son of God, but also the Son of Man. And in John 4, in verse 6, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So he was tired, right? He had been walking uh, quite some distance to, to get to this well. And, and he gets there and, and he's tired. And so this passage uh, with the woman at the well has a lot more meaning to it when you take yourself back into the life of Jesus and imagine yourself being there and you've been walking and you're tired. And when he says, give me a drink, he means it. It isn't, it isn't that he's just saying, give me a drink for a teaching moment. He's thirsty. He's tired. He always maintains a beautiful um, amount of composure. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Again, because he was thirsty. Right? John, John 11, in verse 33 Jesus, like we, when when people suffer, uh, he groaned inside. When Jesus therefore saw her, Lazarus' sister, Mary, weeping, and Jesus who came with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. So the Jews were weeping. Jesus weeped, verse 35. Uh, Mary's weeping. Martha, they're weeping, and Jesus, inside, he's, he's moved. Right? His spirit is moved, just like us. He groaned within. 
Verse 35, he, he wept like we do. He cried over the pain and agony of his friends as they suffered and as they struggled together. And Jesus, just like us, John 19 and verse 34, Jesus bled, right? 34 says, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and and water. And in verse 30, he died, just like we die. Jesus was very real as a human being. Verse 30 says, And when Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus, a man full of, full of compassion. In, in so many instances, as we read about Jesus in his life, we find that he is just moved with compassion. It's almost like compassion is, is gone, right? You know, you think about our fellow man right now with all the, all the bickering and fighting and, right? It's terrible. There's no compassion. The world doesn't care about compassion. And the sad thing is, is that some of us, God's people, have been drawn into that feeling of bitterness and we don't have compassion anymore. It's like compassion is gone forever. Jesus never lost his compassion for his fellow man. Those who were uh, in love with him, served him, and those who were his enemies. He had compassion. And even those from his human side that he didn't know. You know, when he fed the, you know, we say 5,000, but the number's more like about 12,000. You know, when you look at the numbers, look at how that worked, that was only the men they counted. When he fed the 4,000, they only counted the men. Uh, in that day. But he had compassion for people that he knew and those whom he did not know. Matthew chapter 14. He never, ever lost his compassion. Verse 14. Matthew 14, 14. And he went ashore and saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Compassion. This is prior to feeding the 5,000. He sees a multitude and he feels compassion for them. Chapter 15, verse 29. And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up to the mountain, he was sitting there. And a great multitude came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, dumb, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them, so that the multitudes marveled as they saw the dumb speaking and the cripple restored and the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not wish to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. You know, Jesus didn't um, see these people right, who were uh, should have been hospitalized. Uh, they were crippled 
and blind and mute. They had diseases, you assume, whatever else. Just Jesus didn't look at them and say, Ugh. He didn't. He didn't do that. He didn't have that attitude where you go, well, I'm not going to take the time to talk to them about Jesus. They got enough to worry about. Jesus healed them. Felt so much compassion for them that he fed them. And you can understand that for three days, the cripple and the blind followed him. And how difficult that must have been. And so the compassion of Jesus is, is very real. And then we need to get that understanding as we, as we think about Jesus, gain the understanding of what the compassion of Jesus really means. Again, we're looking at God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit manifested in Jesus Christ. The Godhead manifested in Jesus Christ. When someone asks me about heaven, I just talk about compassion. If God can have this much compassion on the earth, what do you think heaven's going to be like when he says, you know, you guys were in the flesh and you struggled and you had heartache and pain and misery and suffering and trials and tribulation and pain and all this. I'm going to make a place special for you. I have compassion for you. Right? You were faithful. Jesus, Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 1. Jesus was compassionate to the people. He was moved with compassion. In other words, when he saw the people, there was something that stirred up within him that made him feel what they felt, that empathy, right? He had that empathetic feeling for them. You know, to be crippled, to be lame, to be mute, unable to speak. Compassion. Mark 1 and verse 40 And a leper came to him, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. You know, lepers were supposed to say, you know, leper, leper. It was supposed to shout it loudly so that everyone would know, unclean, unclean. Jesus moved with compassion. He sees this man and, and he looks at him and he thinks about his condition and he sees him and he, he's filled with compassion for that sick man. He lays hands on him and he heals him. Mark chapter 5. There was a man that was possessed with a demon and I want to jump all the way down to verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Even for a demon-possessed man that the Bible says it often hurt people and lashed out and broke the chains and terrible. And yet Jesus had mercy. Jesus even had mercy on the demons, remember? He allowed them to go into the pigs. 
Jesus, son of, son of God, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, what would you like for me to do for you? Even for his enemy. Luke, please, chapter 7. That was a woman who lost her child. She came to Jesus. And by the way, what, what, I, what I am not able to uh, present to you is the, the attitude of the people that came to Jesus. These people were hurting, right? They were, they were, they were really, truly devastated. This woman is devastated. Her, her child has, has, uh, has passed. She's, she's struggling tremendously from within. And she comes to Jesus in verse 12. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother. She was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. It's like Jesus, for just a moment, said, This poor woman has no one else. It's her only son. Her husband is gone. And he felt this amazing amount of compassion for her. And not just compassion, but also Jesus, you know, he, he pities us. Matthew chapter 20. He, he remembers that, that we are but, but dust. He is participating with us in the hardships of life. He has this amazing amount of understanding about how much we suffer in the flesh. Some more than others. Whether it be uh, as we grow older, just that alone, a disease that has just taken over your life. Now we have COVID-19, we have loss of life, we have loss of family, we I mean, there's so many other things that are still here. There are things that we haven't even heard of that people are suffering from all over the world. Not just in America, all over the world. It's hard to live in the flesh. It's actually easier to live in the Spirit. Jesus, because we are mortal beings, and He took on flesh and blood like us, being tempted as we are, he felt this amazing amount of pity and compassion for his created ones. In Matthew chapter 20, in verse 30, Behold, two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the multitude sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they began, or regained, excuse me, their sight and followed him. Notice the two reactions. You have three 
reactions or, or in this story. You have the, the multitude, or rather the two blind men who hear that Jesus is there and they begin to cry out loudly. You have the multitude who tell the blind men to silence themselves. The Lord is here. And then you have Jesus who's full of compassion. You know, it's amazing, right? The greatness of our God that, that Jesus takes the time for individuals because every individual is important to God. Everyone. In Matthew 9, and what that means for us is that includes you. Right? You are independently important to God. All of your suffering, trials, and tribulations, God is concerned about every one of them. All of them. Every bit that we ever go through. In verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9, And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send our workers into his harvest. He saw people weary, scattered like sheep without a shepherd. His reaction is filled with compassion. He didn't go into the open dialogue of how they get that way. <laughs> you know, right? This guy right here, he, he did this and she did that and, and this person over here is a little bit of this and, you know, he didn't do that. He just saw people suffering, struggling, and he was there administering to their needs, every kind of illness, disease and sickness that was before us. And he enjoyed tending to sick and diseased people. I mean, many of us enjoy that? I mean, doctors don't even enjoy that. I mean, they do it because, you know, I mean, I guess I shouldn't speak for uh, medical physicians. That probably isn't fair. But, I mean, you know, if you're, every day you're dealing with just, just, it's a tough life. It's tough. But Jesus enjoyed ministering to the bereaved, ministering to the hungry um, giving guidance and instruction to those who are wandering sheep. And, and then he says, th- in verse 37, um, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. He says, We need more people like me. Jesus says that. <laughs> you know, we need more folks out there to do the work of God. Pray for workers. Pray for workers for this amazing harvest that is before us. I wonder sometimes if um, if we as humans, Christians, crave human companionship more than our relationship with Christ. You know, I wonder how, I wonder how many Christians... I mean, right now, I get it. We're in a very lonely time. But, but is it? I mean, yeah, it's lonely. It is. 
What do, you, what do you do more of when you become lonely? Pray more. Right? Read more. Become more spiritual. Become one with God. Seek the peace that surpasses all understanding. Instead of drawing closer to God in this period of COVID, many folks are drawing closer to the world. Right? I'm going to go out and I'm going to binge watch television all day. I'm just going to watch television all day. How about spending some time with God? Right? It's okay. I mean, it's okay. I'm not saying it's, you know, there's something wrong with it. I, I get it. You want to sit down and watch a show and, 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 and do that for, that's fine. But don't forget Jesus. I wonder in, in this time period, do we spend more time, um, energy, and energy, and, and put more of an effort toward our physical appearance as opposed to cultivating our inward appearance or beauty, right? I mean, you know, we have to, I, I know there's, there's so much to do, but you're not even going anywhere. <laughs> we all have one. And by the way, the mask thing, for me, not that bad. It covers up half your face. and I mean, maybe, I mean, it's bad, but at the same time, I mean, it covers up some of that external, some of the flaws. But you can't cover up your internal flaws. They're exposed to God. Now is this time where we can work on the internal and and maybe not uh focus as 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 you know as much as we do on the external right am i beautiful on the inside to jesus the, the level of my obedience um do i find that the level of my my obedience is um maybe fueled by the expectations of others or do I desire to, well let me ask this, the expectation of others to impress them. Am I really, really putting all of my energy into fulfilling the expectations of others in such a way that impresses them more than finding that inward passion for Jesus? The passion for Christ. You know, it's funny. Um, there's, there's not a, a church or, there, maybe churches are the only, um, you know, institution or whatever it is of, of people that are concerned about this, uh, this question when this is under control or over. Will the people come back? <laughs> when, and we all talk about it, you know, no matter where you, you can look online under, you know, discussion of churches. And religious organizations or entities are wondering if the people are going to come back. Do you realize that if there was ever a conversation that Christians should not ever have to have, that is the conversation? I mean, what, what, now all of a sudden God doesn't exist any longer? Why are we even questioning that? And I know it's a very real issue. It's a very real question. Will people come back? Why wouldn't they come back? God hasn't gone anywhere. But see, that's the point. The point is that Satan is just so good, 
to where he distracts our minds and can cause us to forget about our passion for Christ. As if Jesus, maybe he didn't die on the cross. Why are we having that discussion? Well, we are. Are you more concerned in your mind about what others think and how maybe you can please them rather or as opposed to being concerned with what God thinks and, and how we can please Him? What a good time to think about Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38. Let's look at that again. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Another another point. Here's our time to shine. right? God, you know, there isn't even much I can do right now. Let me be a worker in, in the harvest. Make some phone calls. Send some letters. Send some cards. I can be a worker. I can do it. I can do something that's positive and beneficial. And so I want to continue with this idea of falling in love with Jesus because when we think of Jesus, we've been talking about the man. And, and I want to now bring a little bit of his divinity in and then, and, and then go right back into the idea of what he has done from the divine, if you will, and brought it down to a human level, uh, and, and drew those together, and however God did that, to be the everything for His children. Right? To be everything that we could ever, ever need, and even want. How the divine has, has, has the way, I don't want to say has found the way, how the divine has the way to provide everything that we could ever need or even want. Jesus and the divine. So, I'm going back to Exodus chapter 3. I want to begin at verse 9. I want to look at the divine. Exodus 3 and verse 9, as the children of Israel uh, coming out of uh uh, you know, they're in bondage and eventually will be, uh, the Hebrews will be released. We grab Exodus 3 and verse 9. And now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now. And I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you, that is, I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my memorial name. And this is, excuse me, this is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying... I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Okay. I am. I am concerned. I am the great I am. The I am God. I am who I am. The self-existent one is concerned. Turn, turn to John 8. He was concerned with them, and he is concerned about us. He is concerned about what happens in our lives. Jesus is the example, if you will, as to the concern of the great I am, the Godhead, because God sent his son to die that we might live. He's concerned about us. As, as we look into the future of COVID, meaning we think about what could happen, God is concerned about our future. God is concerned about our present. God is concerned about what happened to us in our past. God is concerned. Jesus was concerned about the people. He showed it. He demonstrated the concern. In verse 23 of John chapter 8, and he was saying to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I said therefore to you, that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am. So back to the divine. that The divine, that woman, that woman at the well. Jesus was concerned about her. That woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, who was set up, Jesus was concerned about her and concerned even about the people who were deceived. The Jews understood when Jesus says to them, unless you believe that I am, he, way back to Exodus, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. They understood it clearly. Right? Look at chapter 50. I mean, I'm sorry, verse 50. Uh, you'd have a hard time finding. Chapter 50. John 8, verse 50. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died. And the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, 
If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know Him, but I know Him. And if I say that I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not know Him. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out the temple. They understood with clarity what he was talking about. Jesus, with his amazing concern for humanity, he didn't fight back. He didn't didn't allow these examples of these ignorant people. When I say ignorant, I'm not saying they weren't intellectual people, but they were spiritually ignorant. To keep him from completing his mission. In John 13... In verse 18, the text says, I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I've chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I Am he. The divine. Verse 3, chapter 18. (coughs) Excuse me. Judas then, having received from the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priest and the Pharisees. I'm in the wrong place here. John 13 is where I think I want to go. No, that's where I want to go. I want to look at John 18. I just left 13 because I want to to make another point. So, John 13, I am. John 8, I am. Exodus 3, I am. John 18, I am. I am he. Verse 3, John 18. Judas then, having received from the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas also was betraying him, was standing there with them. When therefore he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. The power of the name of Jesus, the power of the divine, the power of the Godhead, the great I am. I I want to bring this to your attention to take us into the next portion of our study of the power of the great I am in regards to his relationship 
to us. What is um, the great I am? How is the great I am? How is this idea significant to God's people? Why would the great I am make me fall in love with Jesus? Jesus, the great I am. I want to tell you how. In order for our physical bodies to maintain life, we need food. Some of us eat more than others. (laughs) But we need our food. (laughs) And we love our food, right? We love our junk food. We love all kinds of food. We we love cookies. (laughs) We're talking about cookies. Our spiritual bodies, just like the physical body, needs food. Our spiritual bodies need the Word of God to sustain us, to keep us, right? To, to give us the strength and the energy to continue on in Christ. And if we don't have the spiritual food, the physical food really doesn't do us that much good. We're all gonna die one day and stand before God. We have to have this spiritual, uh, rejuvenation, this spiritual refreshing, this spiritual strength from our God. Just as physical food keeps us from dying of malnutrition, spiritual food keeps us from dying spiritually. Because we have God to follow and to obey. So there's, in the Old Testament, this teaching and I want to go grab it. And I'm running out of time. Luke, uh, Leviticus rather, excuse me, chapter 24. I, w- I want to grab this, follow this, and bring it to my, my point I'm trying to get to. And I, I think we can get there. So the, the showbread and the bread of the presence, are, they're, they're one and the same. It's called by two different names. Verse, verse 5, Leviticus 24. Then you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row. That it may be a memorial portion for the bread, even an offering by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually. It is an everlasting covenant for the sons of Israel. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to them from the Lord's offering by fire, his portion forever. Now the sons of of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the sons of Israel, and the Israelites' woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other uh, in, the, uh, in the camp. I don't really want to get into that part right now. I just want you to understand and get out of this text that there's this, this memorial that is before God, before the people and before God all the time. It's the showbread. It, it's the bread of the presence. Turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And I want to look at verse, verse 20. So again, this, this showbread is always in the presence of God and in the presence of the priest continually. 
Jesus says in verse 20, after he tells about being, about baptism, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just as when we go back and look at the showbread that is continually before the people and before God, I want you to see the bread of that presence in Jesus Christ, that I will always forever be with you. Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's what we're going to pick up next week, that Jesus is the bread of life. And we're going to talk about other thing about the bread, the idea of the bread. What does that mean to us, that Jesus is the bread of life, right? Again, going back into the Old Testament, the showbread, the bread of the presence, always before the Father, always before the priest, always there. Jesus is always before the Father, always before humanity. He's always there. You can always count on Jesus. There's not a time in the Old Testament that I remember or recall where the showbread was not always present. It's a beautiful picture of the Christ. Jesus says, not just I am, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And to the Jew who thinks back and looks at the temple in in the tabernacle and all the beauty of it, and you can smell that baked bread. It was always fresh. It was always there. That is a representation of Jesus, our Lord. So when we come back next week, I want us to look at Jesus, the bread of life. In closing tonight, here's, here's the simple truth. That if you want God to be with you, you know, you got to live for him. you, you got to be his. He told the disciples to go out and, and, and teach and baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he'd be with them always. And so as we evangelize, know that Jesus is with us. If you tonight uh, have, have tuned in and you've not turned your life to God, here's your opportunity. It's right there in the Scriptures. Be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, uh, so that God can wash away all of your sins. And if, if you're finding trouble in, in your relationship with God, think about the great compassion that Jesus demonstrated before us over and over again. And turn your life around. Come back to Him. Come back to Jesus. Again, the question, you know, when this whole thing's under control... People feel a little more comfortable and confident. Uh, Will you come back? I I pray we don't have to have that discussion. I'm thankful to you for your time tonight, uh, for this opportunity to study God's Word with you, and I pray something was said to encourage you, strengthen you in some way in regards to our beautiful relationship with our wonderful God. Thank you tonight. God bless each and every one of you.